going by the months, we are now three twenty-fourths of the way through 2023. How does that measure up mathematically? Well, it's the 45th day of the year, meaning we are 12.6% of the way to 2024. Who's counting? I'm Sean Tubbs, host and producer of Charlottesville Community Engagement. This is somehow the 498th edition of this program, created to bring information to the community that otherwise was not being assembled. And if the math does not work out, help me check it. On today's program, the University of Virginia has selected five entities to put in proposals to develop two sites for affordable housing, including the Piedmont Housing Alliance. The Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors releases its snapshot of the fourth quarter of 2022. The city of Charlottesville seeks entries for a poster contest for the 50th anniversary of the downtown city market. And the Albemarle Board of Supervisors gives feedback on a proposal to reimburse developers of affordable housing for their water and sewer connections. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, would you like to learn how to help our unhoused neighbors find affordable permanent housing? Livable Seaville is hosting a webinar, Homelessness in Charlottesville is a Housing Problem, on March 1st at 6.30 p.m. The online event will feature Dr. Greg Colborn, Assistant Professor of Real Estate at the University of Washington and co-author of the groundbreaking recent book, Homelessness is a Housing Problem. He will discuss his research into the causes of homelessness and solutions. The discussion will explore connections between homelessness, the Charlottesville area housing market, and the Seville Plans and Albemarle County 2044 projects. Visit livableseville.org to learn more. File this under knowing where to look. For ages, I have been checking the website of the University of Virginia Foundation for the latest information on the next steps for a plan to build between 1,000 and 1,500 below-market units. After months of looking and not finding anything new, I asked the Foundation today if there was anything new to report. And there is. The University of Virginia has asked a total of five entities to respond to requests for proposals to develop two sites for housing units that will be rented or sold to households with qualified incomes. Here's a section from the website from the President's Council on UVA Community Partnerships. After careful evaluation of each respondent on the criteria outlined in the request for qualifications, which included qualifications and experience, project approach, and financial transaction approach, the review committee recommended inviting three teams to be invited to respond to a request for proposals for each of the two initial sites. The two sites are a two-acre site on Wortland Street, and the other is a 12-acre site on Mimosa Drive, known currently as Piedmont, that is off of Fontaine Avenue. The Piedmont Housing Alliance has been asked to put in a proposal for both projects. The agency is currently redeveloping Friendship Court, building the affordable apartments at Southwood, and is seeking financing for two projects on Park Street in Charlottesville. The two other entities asked to submit a proposal for Wortland Street are Community Housing Partners and Enterprise Community Development. Community Housing Partners is based in Christiansburg and was founded in 1975 and has grown to be a provider of housing across the Mid-Atlantic and Southwest Virginia. 
Enterprise Community Development is based in Baltimore, and their website claims the organization works on projects across all 50 states, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. The two other entities asked to submit a proposal for Wortland and 10th Streets are AHC and Preservation of Affordable Housing. AHC is based in Arlington and was also founded in 1975. They have worked on projects in Virginia, Maryland, and the District of Columbia. Preservation of Affordable Housing is based in Boston, and their website claims they have worked on projects in 11 states and the District of Columbia. All entities have until March 23rd to turn in their proposal, and the finalists will be selected in the summer. A site visit was held on January 30th, according to Fred Missel, Director of Design and Development for the University of Virginia Foundation. The developer will be responsible for preparing the plans and getting all of the necessary approvals, including archaeological studies. They'll also have to have experience getting financing through Virginia Housing. Other development requirements include deliver a moderate to high-density mixed-income housing community, offer a maximum number of affordable housing units with an emphasis on creating mixed-income communities that include, but are not limited to, units in the 30% to 60% area median income range, coordinate with UVA and the UVA Foundation and local jurisdictions on the utilities and infrastructure that will serve the development, and coordinate on the design aesthetic that interacts with the surrounding community and demolish the existing improvements as needed to accommodate the project, with the exception of historic structures, applicable only at Piedmont. A third site at North Fork will not proceed until Albemarle County rezones the project at a timetable not known at this moment. While this is a newsletter, I don't call what I produce news for many reasons. One of them is it takes me a while to get to everything. The following was released nine days ago, but it ends up being relevant today. The Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors has reported fewer sales in the fourth quarter of 2022 compared to 2021. Here's one of the takeaways from the quarterly report. There were 917 homes sold in the car market in the fourth quarter of 2022, which is a 25% reduction in sales from this time last year, or 311 fewer sales. The report also documents that prices continue to increase in all six localities that car tracks. At $400,000, the fourth quarter median sales price in the car market climbed 8% from the fourth quarter last year, a gain of about 30000 However, the number of units on the market at the end of 2022 increased to 740, up from 436 at the end of 2021. The report attributes the slowdown in sales to increases in the interest rates on mortgages. For the full details, view the report on CARS website. There's a link in the newsletter. This year will mark the 50th anniversary of Charlottesville's downtown city market, and the city's Parks and Recreation Department is looking for help to promote the event. They're asking for people to design a fun and fresh poster. Here's the call for entries. Charlottesville Parks and Recreation will select one winning poster design that depicts a combination of engaging graphics, informative messaging, and regional or market identity. The winning artist will be awarded $500 and bragging rights. The deadline is March 12, 2023, and people can submit more than one entry. 
The market operates April to November on space rented from the Woodard Company, who in turn rents it from the Charlottesville Parking Center. The city market used to operate on the city-owned lot next door, but moved to the more level space after a city-requested development by Woodard, called West Second, was withdrawn following a denial from the city's Board of Architectural Review. For more information on the poster contest, visit the city's website. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, WTJU 91.1 FM is a volunteer-powered radio station staffed by hundreds of volunteer hosts sharing their passion for music. You can become a volunteer host, too. WTJU's classical department is especially looking for new volunteers. You just need to be curious and excited about music, but no previous radio experience is necessary or expected. Learn more and apply at www.tju.net slash get involved. Additionally, here's something new. It has been 35 months since the pandemic officially began in March of 2020. How has your life changed? Do you want to tell your story? Consider submitting to Charlottesville Community Engagement, something either written or voiced in your own words. We're already beginning to forget that time. I know I am. So drop me a line. And if you're interested in capturing your thoughts, let me know. One more story today, and it ties in with the theme of housing. The Albemarle Board of Supervisors adopted a plan called Housing Albemarle in July of 2021 that is intended to increase the number of housing units in the county. That came with a goal of requiring a minimum of 20% of new units to qualify as affordable. That's up from 15% in the current policy, which applies to units that need rezonings or special use permits. Here's Stacy Pethia, the county's housing policy manager, at the February 1st meeting of the Board of Supervisors. At that time, uh, the board delayed full implementation of the policy until um, a package of developer incentives could be identified um, and approved that would support developer efforts to meet the new goals of that housing policy. Supervisors have held previous work sessions on how to put together incentives both in February 2022 and in May of 2022. Out of those came a resolution of intent to amend the zoning ordinance to create an affordable dwelling unit program. Pethia said a work session on that topic will take place later this spring. All of this is based on a 2019 study by the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission that assessed the region's housing needs. In that study, uh, it was identified that the county will need um, a total of 10,070 affordable housing units by the year 2040 to meet the current housing the housing needs of current residents as well as um, projected residents in the future. Of that. Pethia said about 9,000 of those units are needed for households below 80% of the annual area median income. That figure is currently $111,200 a year. One tool for affordability would be to create a grant program that would be separate from the Affordable Dwelling Unit Program. 
Here's a section from the draft of the program that went before supervisors. The grant program is supported by an increase of property tax revenue to Albemarle County, generated by an incentivized project, and may be provided to affordable housing projects that achieve one or more of the affordable housing objectives outlined in Housing Albemarle. Pethia said such a program is authorized under Virginia Code in Section 15.2-958. Property owners who receive funding are required to designate 20% as affordable, with the definition of affordable up to each locality. Housing Albemarle uh, really recommends focusing rental housing on households with incomes at 60% of area median income. Um, That is really for a family of four, that's about $88,000. Eligible projects would have more than 10 units, be located within the development area, provide a minimum of 20% of units below market, 10% of units must be accessible or convertible to standards of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and they would have to have the same building materials in both market rate and below market units. Anyone who sought to take advantage would need to fill out a form. But what form would the grant take? It would offer uh, rebates of real property taxes um, over a 10-year period, and the amount of those property tax rebates would be equal to 100% of the cost of the water and sewer connection fees. That's not a low number. The current hookup fee to the Albemarle County Service Authority is $13,470 per unit. ACSA Executive Director Gary O'Connell said in an email today that that number is likely to increase due to a number of capital improvement projects. The developer would enter into a performance agreement with the county, which would require annual reporting. Pethia said Chesterfield County has a similar program in place. Through their program, they have incentivized uh, 114 affordable units um, since 2019. Their project, their program has been currently put on hold uh, because they want to go back and assess it and review and evaluate and see how it's working and if they can make any changes to improve it. Supervisor Ned Galloway expressed concern the grant program might not provide the certainty that developers want to make sure their project can afford the affordability. Too much would depend on the circumstances for each project. It would likely always be project specific. You might have somebody that wants the TAP fees rebated, but you might want somebody else that wants expedited review. Maybe time's more important than something else in that particular case. Galloway said he would support the project if it could be demonstrated to work, but he was not certain as of this work session. Pethia said this is the beginning of the conversation. Supervisor Diantha McKeel said adding this as an option would provide the board with more information on future rents as elected officials consider rezonings and special use permits. We often have um, applicants that come before us with developments and we say, well, how much are you going to charge for rent? How much is this going to cost? How much is this? And the answer is always, oh, I don't, we don't know yet. Seems like to me we'll get some clarity around that at this going forward with this. Galloway had a concern that a developer might not get enough to cover the cost of providing the units below market. He suggested just providing a tax rebate rather than tie it to a reimbursement for water and sewer connections. But my concern would be we do this grant program, we have a program come before us and we find out that the water connection fees covered 80% of whatever the additional cost is. And then we'd have to provide additional tax rebate or something in addition to that amount to make it flush, to make it even. 
because that's what we were saying we would do. We're not going to cover 80% of the cost increase. It's not an incentive program if it doesn't cover the full cost increase. Deputy County Executive Doug Walker acknowledged there was a challenge in providing certainty, but that every application would be reviewed. And so where that number is um, could be could be actually reconciled on a project-by-project basis, right? Yep. Using the pro forma, staff analysis, sitting down, penciling it out, and, and coming up with a recommendation on whether it does or doesn't, or if it does at what level, right? And making that recommendation. That certainly could be a way to try to overcome what I think is the concern. Supervisor Ann Malik said she supported reimbursing TAP fees with rebates because it would give the same benefit to all eligible projects. As opposed to something where you have 39 different math scenarios for different builders who have different business models and some can leverage outside money and some are expecting the county to pay for everything. The final question for supervisors was whether there should be a cap on rebates for a given fiscal year. Supervisors all agreed, based on an idea, it would be difficult to budget properly otherwise. A second work session will be held to finalize input from supervisors on the affordable grant program before the project goes to a public hearing, possibly at the same work session for the affordable dwelling unit ordinance that was discussed earlier. The exact schedule? Keep checking the week ahead here on Charlottesville Community Engagement. And that's the end of this particular program. And this one was going to come out tomorrow, but it's now coming out in later afternoon. There is no shortage of information to write about. And my time is best used getting these out as I can, as they're done. Tomorrow, a new set of stories. Or maybe Friday. Every time the sun shows up in the sky, it's a different kind of day, making this a very unique information product. But is it news? What is news? I don't know anymore, and it doesn't matter. I am a journalist, a reporter, a writer, a collector of facts and figures with experience putting them into context. And thanks to the support of over 500 people or other entities, I'm able to make this my time. In exchange, newsletters as they come out. If you want to join that number and help me expand and one day get to a regular schedule, please do. If not, then don't. It's as simple as that. I don't believe in begging people for money or introducing a threat that somehow the work won't get done. That does not fit my ethos, my ethics, and I will not sing that in Ethel Merman's voice. Substack subscriptions, though, are matched by Ting, which I think is worth knowing. Maybe that will help you decide. There's a $5 a month level, a $50 a year level, or a $200 a year level. That latter one gives you shout outs and thanks to those who have taken advantage of that. And thank you to Ting. And if you sign up at a link for Ting in the newsletter and enter the promo code community, that's if you want service, you know, you will get installation for free, a second month for free, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. That is not free to them, but it'd be free to you. Thank you to Vraki for much of the music and the fundamental Grang for gregging it on along again, or whatever that person does. And I also keep forgetting to mention that the opening track, as always, comes from PJ Sykes. Thank you, PJ, for producing this audio, that audio for me, like in 2006, I think it was, when the Charlottesville Podcasting Network was supposed to be like this. But here we are now in 2023, and it's time to get on to the next one, which will be 499. I'm Sean Tubbs, Charlottesville Community Engagement. Thank you very much. Goodbye.